The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Serve Hour. Insightful, provocative, opinion-shaping conversations that matter. Your host is Jim Blackburn. During this broadcast, you'll hear from guests who are taking uniquely different approaches to life and their work environment, and you are invited to take part in the conversation. Now, here is Jim Blackburn. It's that time. Welcome to the Serve Hour and a conversation that matters. Wherever you are and however you may be listening, thank you for making us part of your day. I'm Jim Blackburn, the host of the Serve Hour, and I invite you to participate with me in today's conversation. If you're listening live, call me. You can reach me at 866-472-5790. You can also email me, jblackburn at serve, and that's S-U-R-V-E-Partners.com. And if you're listening to our podcast, please feel free to email me at that same email address, Blackburn at servepartners.com. Our conversation topic today, an upside-down approach to organizational change. Before I get into that, however, I've received some questions about last week's topic about your eagle's eye, ally, or adversary. And the questions actually were around to revisit how to manage that. So for those of you who did not hear about the eagle's eye last week, I'll quickly summarize what that phenomenon is. As most of us know, eagles are well known for their superior sight. But what's not known by most people is that the eagle has two centers of focus on each retina. So it can see two distinctly different images simultaneously. I like to refer to it as looking for lunch, i.e. trying to pick up the rabbit that's running below, while also looking at the horizon. Well, each of us as human beings have the same ability. No, we can't look up while we're looking down. That's not what I'm referring to. What I am referring to, though, is that when you are looking at your current reality with the human eye, you have an internal eye, the mind's eye, that is interpreting that reality. As I've said many times, we all see same things differently. Also, the world is as you are, not as it is. So the point being last week, the mind's eye, if left unmanaged, will hold you captive to your past. So how do you manage it? First, you need to be aware that it exists. Secondly, we define managing the mind's eye as a form of personal and professional growth. We refer to this as relating to same situations, same relationships, same things, 
differently, as well as relating to new situations and relationships. New knowledge does not cause change. However, if you can manage how you are relating to your current reality, i.e. managing the mind's eye, you will be able to change the results of your life and the way you experience life. What I'm talking about is how you relate to disappointment, how you relate to underperforming employees, how you relate to competition, your job, certain relationships. And the question that I always ask is, as I'm observing somebody and watching them with a way of relating, is, is that working for you? And if not, why do you continue to react that way? I hope that helps. Thank you, uh, Nancy, for uh, sharing that question with me. Now, let's get into today's topic, an upside-down approach to organizational change. And I, I, I must begin with the R.D. Lang quote that I've used in a, a number of the prior broadcasts, um, that as I think about today's topic, this quote forms the foundation for our conversation. And the quote is this, the range of what you think and do is limited by what you fail to notice. And because you fail to notice that you fail to notice, there is little you can do to change until you notice that failing to notice limits all that you think and do. Now, here's what I've noticed over the past 20 years of consulting with business executives and owners. Assume for a moment that you've been promoted, you have a new job with a different company, or your organization is underperforming. What I've noticed more often than not is that you relate to your new job and the challenges of the job the same way you related to your old job. And that's referred to as the paradox of success. The strengths, skills, capabilities that got you the promotion the new job, if not adjusted or actually left behind, they will cause you major struggles in your new role. Remember, we talked about this last week. When we feel pressure, we react by going back to what we know. And the example I used was the CFO that was struggling with his controller. And when I asked him about the problem, he, he said to me that the controller's reports are always late and never accurate. And when I asked him about how he reacted to that, he said I would probably be spending most of my weekends correcting them. So think about this for a moment. And this is what I said to the CFO. I said, you're good at these reports, right? This is what got you where you are. He said, absolutely. And I said, so why are you doing the controller's job? He says, I don't want to. And I said, then what are you paying him to do? Are you paying him to produce or to do stuff? And he said, I don't know the difference. And this is what I tried to help him notice. He was not holding his controller accountable for producing the results that he was expecting. He was having him do stuff which allowed him to go back to his old familiar and do the work 
that he excelled at. Remember, the range of what we think and do is limited by what we fail to notice. And because we fail to notice that we fail to notice, there's little we can do to change until we notice that failing to notice limits all that we think and do. So as you can imagine, notice is a big word here. So the question is notice what? Let me share a story with you from the book War for Talent. It's a story about Les Wexner, the founder of the limited stores. In the business's first 25 years, Wexner grew the business to $5 billion in sales and had 3,800 retail stores. Then, in the early 90s, the limited's earnings hit a wall and the stock fell through the floor. Wexner was working harder than ever, but something was desperately wrong. Now, remember... The range of what you think and do is limited by what you fail to notice. So Les went to see GE's Jack Welsh and Wayne Calloway, then the CEO of PepsiCo, to determine how they ran their businesses so well. And here's what the authors wrote. I asked them how often they check sales, Wexner recalls. They said, once or twice a month. I checked ours twice a day. I asked them how much time they spent reviewing new ads. They said, almost no time. I asked them how much time they spent on new product concepts. They said, occasionally, but only on a really big new product concept with a large capital expenditure. I was spending half my time on products and ads. Finally, Wexler asked, so what do you do? How do you spend your time? Separately, each of the men explained that they spend about half their time on people, recruiting new talent, picking the right people for the particular positions, grooming young stars, developing global managers, dealing with underperformers, and reviewing the entire talent pool. Welsh said to Wexner, having the most talented people in each of our business businesses is the most important thing. If we don't, we lose. By the time he had finished meeting with Welsh and Callaway, Wexner figured it out. He realized that the common element in both success stories was talent management. How well these successful leaders had recruited, developed, and retained talented people. It was the talent that made these companies great, Wexter saw, and it was the talent that made them perform beyond their peers. It was an epiphany, he says. I discovered a completely different way of running a business. Remember, the range of what you think and do is limited by what you fail to notice. So here's what I notice. When working with new managers, or someone who's leading an organization that is underperforming, I ask, what are you responsible for? And the answers are vague at best. There's a lack of clarity of what needs to be fixed. There's a lack of clarity as to exactly what's not working. There's a lack of clarity of what the change will look like when you've completed the assignment. 
in general, there's a lack of clarity of what the manager is responsible for. And when I notice this, I also know that struggle is ahead. Okay, so now let's talk about upside-down approach to organizational change. Can you guess where we're going to start the change? And by the way, what I'm going to share here with you is there's nothing new here. Uh, it's common knowledge, but unfortunately, it's not common practice. Step one, and I also want you to understand and notice, you're not going to hear me talk very much in here about strategy. This upside-down approach begins with the change agent. The changes must start with the change agent, regardless of title or level of responsibility. If you are responsible for facilitating any type of organizational change, you need to think of yourself as a change agent, and you must start by clarifying your responsibilities as a change agent. Now, notice I use the word responsible for facilitating. That is both an art and a science, which I'll address further on in our, our conversation today. So what is the change agent responsible for? A change agent is responsible for changing the organization through the efforts of other people. The change agent is responsible for creating employment opportunities for the right people and creating an environment that contributes to their success. Now, hear me out on this, and I'm going to upset some people with this statement. The change agent is not responsible for fixing people who are underperforming or keeping people employed. Your job is not to keep people employed. Your job is to create employment opportunities and find the people who can fulfill those opportunities. So where do we begin? The change agent must first create, clarify, and communicate the what's. That's W-H-A-T apostrophe S, the what's, which is different than the how's. That's H-O-W apostrophe S. What are the what's? First, they need to create a statement that describes what yet can be from what already exists. It's describing the future. They need to create a destination statement. That's what the organization looks like when the change is completed. They need to complete a purpose statement, which is the ultimate work of the organization. They need to create reasons why people, the right people, will want to be part of this ongoing organizational transition. That's called the employee value proposition. And they need to create what I call the investor value proposition, which is the payback to the organization. Now, let me give you an example of this. I think it was my third broadcast in June. I had a guest, Chris King, director of athletics at the University of Texas Pan American. And Chris was, I got a lot, just a lot of terrific feedback on his comments and his um, uh, view of 
the roles of management and how to lead an organization through change. Well, as I'm speaking to you this morning, Chris is going through an organizational change where he's bringing two separate athletic departments together. So the U- University of Texas Pan American is now becoming the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. And as I visited with Chris and observed him over time, I watched him create his destination statement. Here it is, the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley Athletics is the standard, i.e., no, he said it's the new standard for the Western Athletic Conference and all Division I institutions. He also prepared a purpose statement, and it's pretty much on everything you see at that university, and it's preparing our student-athletes for excellence in life. So go to their website. It's www.GoUniversityTexasRioGrandeValley. Let me spell it. It's G-O-Go-U-T-R-G-V.com and see for yourself. Now, I've been told it's time for us to take a short break. So let's take a break here before I move into the second step. Uh, You are listening to Jim Blackburn. This is the Serve Hour, and we are in conversation on the Voice America Business Channel, and we are discussing an upside-down approach to organizational change. When we come back, I'm going to share with you what Jim Collins says about our topic in his best-selling book, Good to Great. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Would you like to have a personal conversation with Jim Blackburn, the host of the Serve Hour? He's available and is interested in hearing from you. And what might you expect when you visit with Jim? These are some of the things that people are saying. Jim, over the course of an hour, taught me about self-awareness and my personal blind spots. This was a very simple concept that I probably have heard many times before, but never with the detail and the explanation of how it would impact my business and relationships. This started a 10-year relationship that I value tremendously. Jim helped me see the difference between multitasking things and multitasking people. Being fully present with other people creates immeasurable value in those relationships. If you or someone you know would benefit by having a conversation with Jim, he can be reached by email at jblackburn at servepartners.com. That's S-U-R-V-E partners.com. Or by phone at 919-969-2522. Jim will respond to you as soon as possible and looks forward to hearing from you. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive. They shake up your status quo, get your thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow, and move you in new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time for our special series on The Digital World. Learn how to be the savvy leader who looks ahead to the next wave of business innovation 
Digital World with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Serve Hour. We know you have something to say, so take part in our conversation today. Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to jblackburn at servepartners.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to our conversation. I'm Jim Blackburn, your host, and we are in conversation about an upside-down approach to organizational change. And before we took our break, I mentioned I wanted to share with you what Jim Collins says about our topic in his book, Good to Great. But before I do that, I want to go back to what I was talking about when I shared what Chris King was doing at this time. Because there's another step that Chris has taken that I need to share with you that's not visible Chris has gotten his head around the two critical parts of any change. They are transformation and transition. And think about this now. Transformation is logical and it's situation specific. We are creating a new strategy by combining these two schools, etc. Transition is emotional and situation neutral. Transition occurs because of the phrase, and you've heard it before in my broadcast, all change causes loss. Transitions begin with endings, and they end with beginnings. So they are emotional and situation neutral. Now, what I've noticed over the years is that typically the person in charge of the change i.e. the change agent, focuses on the transformation, focuses on the strategy, focuses on the tactics, and, quite frankly, they actually ignore the transition. It's like they don't know about it, and maybe they don't. That's backwards, and this is what Chris has gotten his hands around. The person in charge, the change agent, needs to focus on driving the transition, which is both an art and a science. It's allowing people to express how they're feeling and to help them process their grief. The right people are responsible for driving the transition. And when I say right people, I'll clarify that after I share with you what Colin says. So change agents must change their focus to people, beliefs, behaviors, and relationships while their people are focused on the things, measurements, results, and outcomes. Okay. So let me take you now to what our good friend Jim Collins says in his best-selling book, Good to Great. Who are the right people? Let me take a minute here to share with you what Colin says in the chapter he titles, First Who, Then What? Change agents 
do not first figure out how to drive the bus. He refers to getting everybody on a bus, by the way. If you haven't read the book, if you haven't read the book, you should read the book because it's going to help you with everything that I'm talking about here today. Change agents do not first figure out how to drive the bus and then get the people on the bus. No, they first get the right people on the bus and the wrong people off the bus and then figure out how to drive it. They say, in essence, look, I really don't know how to drive this bus. So now picture the change agent. I really don't know how to pull this change off. That's being authentic and real, by the way. Reading further, but I know this much. If we get the right people on the bus, the right people in the right seats, and the wrong people off the bus, then we'll figure out how to take it someplace great. Change agents understand three simple truths, according to Collins. First, if you begin with the who rather than the what, you can more easily adapt to changing the world. Secondly, if you have the right people on the bus, the problem of how to motivate and manage these people largely goes away. And thirdly, if you have the wrong people on the bus, it doesn't matter whether you discover the right direction and have the best strategy and best tactics laid out. You still won't succeed. So, step three, get the right people on the bus, get the wrong people off the bus. So who are the right people? Now, it's important. We're talking about knowledge workers here. These people are paid to think, solve problems, work with and through other people. And let me make another point here that I, I really want to emphasize. As you're processing and facilitating change, this is a critical point. The people are invited to get on the bus. They are treated like volunteers. And when they decide they want to be on the bus, their ticket is a clear statement of how they're going to contribute to the success, which is a step here that is almost always skipped. So here's what I'm recommending. The change agent must re-recruit and recruit people to his statement or her statement of what yet can be from what already is. It's a destination statement. It's a statement of purpose. And in inviting them or recruiting them, and typically if the people are already working for you, they're going to all say, well, I'll sign up. What you want to be able to ask them is two questions. Why is this important to you? being a part of this, and secondly, what are you going to do to contribute to making this statement of purpose and statement of destination a reality? Okay, what are the characteristics of the people we're looking for? Again, in my travels, when I ask management people about this, at best, I get vague answers. 
I, I'm amazed when I say, tell me, what are, what are the characteristics of people that you like to have in your organization? Oh, I, I like well, hard workers. Um, I like people that are hungry. I like people that have a lot of urgency. I hear sales managers say a lot. I want people that, make a lot, that want to make a lot of money. Too vague. Let me give you some characteristics that you want to look for in knowledge workers. First, they're capable of taking responsibility. They're personally responsible. They own where they are. They're responsible for creating their own future, and they're responsible for making it a reality. They're resourceful. They can solve problems. Be careful of the people that continually come to you and dump problems on you. And, by the way, you're probably in charge because you're a good problem solver, so you're going to get sucked in solving those problems, which is doing their work for them. They're resilient. All change that's occurring causes loss. Resilience is critically important in an employee. They're reliable. You can, you can count on them. They show up. They show up when it's hard to show up. And finally, they have a unique relationship orientation. They're capable of working with and through others. They don't have to prove things to others. They can engage others. And when others are with them, they leave that interaction feeling energy. Those are the characteristics that you want to find. Of course, these people have to be smart. But I, I can tell you this. When I describe those characteristics to any person in management that I've worked with over the years, and then I throw in the caveat, and oh, by the way, they have no experience in your industry. Would you hire this person? I have yet to have a person say no. So really think about the characteristics for the right people in your organization. Now, here's the other thing that's overlooked that I want to bring to your attention. When you're facilitating change, Remember, all change causes loss. You will have three groups of people within your organization. First, and by the way, you need to be able to identify all three groups. And you can be surprised greatly if you misidentify or misinterpret what a, where a person is. The first mindset that you want to look for we call supporter participants. Now, what does that mean? They support the future. They support, they buy in, they want to be part of it, and they participate by making it a reality. That's going to be about 20% of your workforce. So if you have 100 people, that would be about 20 people, give or take two or three people. Then at the other extreme, and this is also about 20% of the workforce, you will have what we call observer critics. Observer critics are focused on the present and the past. They resist change almost to the death. They are going to fight the change. They are going to dig in, and they are going to be champions for the status quo. You need to know who they are. I remember sharing these characteristics in a meeting with a large insurance company when I was talking with the president, and when I described the characteristics of the observer critic, he turned to one of his top people and said, oh, my God, he's talking about Fred, the CFO. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, as you know, I've only been here for about nine months, 
Fred's been here for past 20 years and has worked his way up through the organization. Everything that we're trying to implement here, Fred wants to be the devil's advocate, and Fred is digging in and resisting everything at every opportunity. That's the model for an observer critic. And then the other classification would be the other 60%, which would be all others. Now, here's what's important. You need to relate to each group differently. Too many of us in the role of change agents spend too much time trying to fix and to change the observer critics. My recommendation is you do not spend any time with them. You actually isolate them. You clarify what they are responsible for, and you put them on notice that if they continue to try to undermine or sabotage the change that's occurring, the consequences could be severe. You focus all your attention on the supporter participants. And I'll talk to you in a little uh, while later in our broadcast about how you set them up as a team. Your most valuable people are those people because they're going to not only participate by contributing to making the, rea- the future a reality, but they're going to help you recruit the other 60%. Now, what about the culture? Cultures are either an endorsement or an indictment of leadership. Let me give you an example of this. Years ago, I was working with a company in Baltimore, and the CEO had asked me to come in and help him with his organization's culture. And I did a two-day walk around. They had about 40 people in that office. And my report to him was, your culture is fear-based, full of blame, excuses, it's urgent, it's behind, it's not professional, it's unfriendly, and it's disconnected. Your people are highly independent and isolated. And he asked me if I could fix the culture for him, and I said no. And he said, well, what do I need to do? And he did not like what I said next said, you either need to hire somebody in here to replace you, or you need to change how you're relating to your people. Sadly, he didn't do either, and that company over the next four years went out of business. That's how important this is. Now, we're up against another break. Let me wrap up the culture with saying what you're trying to create here is a collaborative, inclusive culture. And this is accomplished by creating teams. So when we come back from the break, I'm going to talk to you about how to do this. Um, You're listening to the Serve Hour. I'm still Jim Blackburn. You're in conversation with me on Voice America Business Channel. So when we come back, we're going to get into how to create the collaborative, inclusive culture, and the importance of creating what we call roles and responsibility statements. So we'll be right back.
become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Would you like to have a personal conversation with Jim Blackburn, the host of The Serve Hour? He's available and is interested in hearing from you. And what might you expect when you visit with Jim? These are some of the things that people are saying. Jim, over the course of an hour, taught me about self-awareness and my personal blind spots. This was a very simple concept that I probably have heard many times before, but never with the detail and the explanation of how it would impact my business and relationships. This started a 10-year relationship that I value tremendously. Jim helped me see the difference between multitasking things and multitasking people. Being fully present with other people creates immeasurable value in those relationships. If you or someone you know would benefit by having a conversation with Jim, he can be reached by email at jblackburn at servepartners.com. That's S-U-R-V-E partners.com. Or by phone at 919-969-2522. Jim will respond to you as soon as possible and looks forward to hearing from you. Conversations concerning money can be a bit daunting. There can be limitations with building wealth. And in general, people don't want to discuss their money until now. Listen each week for Conversations with Money, featuring Franco Caligiuri and Marissa Sipolinski. Our guests make money the conversation piece. How to build and maintain wealth, working with charities, and money and family members. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is the Serve Hour. We know you have something to say, so take part in our conversation today. Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to jblackburn at servepartners.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to our conversation. You are listening to the Voice America Business Channel, the Serve Hour. I'm Jim Blackburn. And we are in conversation about an upside-down approach to organizational change. And before we took our break, I mentioned I would be sharing some thoughts about culture and teams and how to work specifically with the supporter participants that are a critical part of any organizational change. But let me back up just a little bit. I left out something when I was speaking with you earlier about getting the right people on the bus, and I was talking to you about the mindsets. One of the things that Collins mentions in his book, which is critically important, is you also need to get the people in the right seats. And the seats on the bus in your organization I define as functions. As a change agent, what you want to think about are what are the critical functions that are necessary for your organization to succeed or for the change or the transformation to succeed. These become the seats on the bus. It could be head of sales. It could be finance. It could be operation. It could be marketing. It could be customer service. It could be any number of functions 
but you really want to be able to identify them, and then you will need to put someone in that seat. And in doing so, you create what we call roles and responsibility statements. If time permits, I will want to give you examples of those. Those are different than job descriptions. They're actually completed by the person in the job, and they become documents that allow you to reward performance. It clearly states what key uh, results desired are. It identifies the appropriate tactics and relationships necessary to get the work done. So I wanted to touch on that with you briefly. Now, let's, let's take a look at creating a collaborative, inclusive culture. This is accomplished by creating teams. Work teams, which are what most organizations have, and transformational transition teams, or what I call key two teams, which I'm going to introduce to you here in a moment. How are they different? Work teams, the characteristics, I'm going to just compare the two by giving you a list of characteristics here. Work teams excel in a crisis. Transition, transformational transition teams struggle in a crisis. Work teams are project event focused. Transformational transition teams, and I'm just going to say T2 teams, they're focused on creation and contribution. Work teams, they begin and they have endings. T2 teams, they have beginnings and they continue. Work teams are leader direct and the leader controls. T2 teams, the leader creates and empowers. Work teams require participation. You're told you're on the team. Transformational teams or T2 teams, voluntary participation. Work teams, independent relationships, interdependent relationships on the T2 teams. Work teams, relationships are superficial at best. On the transformational teams, relationships are meaningful. On the work teams, and this is really, really detrimental to the success of the team, communication typically is unclear, offline, exclusive. There's more talk after those meetings between people about other people on the team that should, quite frankly, be discussed in the team meeting. On the T2 team, communication is clear, open, direct, and inclusive. It's conducted during the meeting. Work teams' productivity relationships decline over time. T2 teams' productivity relationships grow over time. Work teams, their consensus-oriented. We're all going to decide here. Transformational teams or T2 teams, there's buy-in and follow-through orientation. Individuals take responsibility. Now, what do we want to look at here? Let me talk to you specifically about the characteristics of the T2 team. And as I said earlier, the idea here is to bring your supporter participants together and this, it would be your first transformational transition team. It is title neutral, position neutral, T2 
tenure neutral. It could be any person within your organization who is identified as a supporter participant. Okay, what's the purpose? The purpose of the teams are to develop the knowledge worker in a collaborative and independent or interdependent process while contributing to the greater cause served by the organization, which is the change we're talking about. Therefore, the underlying purpose of the T2 team is the personal and professional growth of the individual team participants. To bring the group together and begin the team process, the leader creates and communicates a reason for the team's existence that becomes the change. Now, what have I said to you here? In essence, the change agent is focused on growing people. And remember, I define growth as relating to same situations, same relationships, same things differently, and relating to new things, new situations, and new relationships. This is different than the change agent being focused on growing the business, and as a byproduct, the people grow. And think about this now. If your people are growing, as I described growth, individually and collectively, what do you think is going to happen to the business? Okay, let me talk to you about the participation now on a T2 team. The participation is optional as opposed to being assigned or required. It's voluntary. To qualify as a participant, and I touched on this earlier, an individual must commit to contributing to the team's objectives as well as demonstrate a responsible self-interest by communicating what he or she gains by participation. Verbalizing how she, he or she expects to gain, what they expect to gain from the team, reinforces and formalizes each participant's active commitment to the team's success. Now, what's the structure here? Okay, change agent, I want you to really take notice here. You're responsible for assembling the team and creating the purpose that drives the activities of the team. You're also responsible for seeking the buy-in for the reasons behind each participant's involvement. You also clarify the reason for the team's existence. And then you simply observe and respond to participants' interaction skills, including their ability to interact effectively with others, influence others, give and receive feedback in ways that promote growth and deal with disappointment. So what am I saying here? You don't run this meeting. You don't prepare for this meeting. You are there using this meeting as a tool to observe your people at work. And when you establish this initial team with your supporter participants, the dynamics of this team will contribute to the recruitment of the other 60% and, quite frankly, can influence the observer critics. So who runs the meeting? one of the supporter participants, referred to as the facilitator. Responsibility is 
the facilitator of the team meeting is responsible for distributing the supporting material needed at the meeting, conducts and convenes the meeting, scheduling breaks as needed, and keeps the team focused on the core purpose. They also are responsible for monitoring, monitoring, monitoring and maintaining the pace of the team meeting while keeping all participants involved. Now, change agent, guess what? You get to observe how your people run meetings. You get to observe how they digest information. You get to observe how they help people who disappear in meetings show up and how they manage people who tend to dominate meetings slow down. The other role, there's two other roles I'm going to tell you about here, is the scribe. And the scribe is simply responsible for recording the actions participant accountabilities, and target dates for completion that are shared as a result of the presentations in the meeting. And the scribe distributes this report immediately after the meeting so that the participants can observe exactly what they've agreed to and what's expected of them probably prior to the next meeting. Typically, these meetings are held monthly. And guess what? The scribe becomes the facilitator for the next T2 meeting. The last responsibility, and this is the big one, are the participants. They are responsible for articulating the specific contributions they will make in support of the team's cause and or objectives. They are responsible for preparing and distributing their reports to the team before the next meeting convenes. And they are responsible for reviewing the other participants' reports and supporting materials prior to each two-team meeting. Finally, they are responsible for asking only clarifying questions and offering observations regarding another participant's presentation or actions during the meeting. Here's how this meeting runs. The report, by the way, is referred to as a spot report. It's a single-page report. That report is distributed in advance, therefore we don't have people reading reports in the meeting. What we do have is a brief overview and the SPOT report, that's an acronym for Scope of Responsibility, Progress, Overview, Timelines, Target Dates, and Thoughts. The participants then, after a report, which typically takes three to five minutes, are responsible for sharing observations and asking provocative questions. What they can't do is give advice, tell stories, or share what they would do if they were in the same situation. Now, this whole concept, and I'm rushing through it right now because we're coming up to a close, is probably enough of a topic for a subsequent meeting. What I want to share with you, though, is this is a tool, a tool for management that actually allows management to expand their control beyond the borders 
of the building they're in or the country they're in. In fact, I helped create this meeting for the, the CFO of an international public company where the direct reports were all over the world. And this allowed that individual to observe his people. They held their meetings quarterly um, on a real-time basis, and it was amazing what he learned about the people that work for him. So we're going to have to call it a day here today. Um, we're, we're approaching the end here, and I want to just touch on a couple of takeaways quickly. Think about this. If we go back to the beginning of the hour, organizational change begins with the change agent changing, and we're not talking about superficial change. We're talking about changing how he or she relates to disappointment, relates to the people, relates to challenges, relates to all those things we talk about in personal growth. The other thing I want you to take away here is the importance of noticing. Notice what you focus on. Change agents need to focus on people, beliefs, behaviors, and relationships while they pay attention to things, measurements, results, and outcomes. Their people are focused on the things, measurements, results, and outcomes. And finally, it's critically important that you have the right people. Change agents are not responsible for fixing people. They're not responsible for growing people. With that said, I'm going to sign off here. Our next broadcast will be next Wednesday, August 5th at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Our conversation, of, topic of conversation, I haven't decided yet. In fact, what I'd like you to do is email me with your suggestions. We're going to be wide open next week and probably be reviewing some of the things we've talked about here today. It's been a pleasure visiting with you over the past hour, and I want to thank you again for sharing part of your day with me. This has been the Serve Hour with Jim Blackburn. Thank you for listening to the Serve Hours Provocative Conversation. Please rejoin your host, Jim Blackburn, during the Serve Hour each Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.